Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Parks has part two of the Less is More Lenten series. His message is titled, Death to Me. All right, all right, now listen, 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 listen. I just got back from India. That's why you're, both of you are looking at me going, did you just roll out of bed? I'm owning it this morning. Now listen, here's the thing, here's the thing. I'm standing backstage. I'm hearing you sing this song with everything in you. There's nothing, nothing, nothing better than you, right? But here's what happens. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to leave that door here in about 20 minutes. And you go back to live in the exact same way you did before you walked in here. That there's a whole lot better than him, right? Like that money in my pocket. That feels pretty good to me, right? Like running my own life, that feels pretty good to me. In fact, there, there's, a, there's a scripture verse that, um, that, that we find in Proverbs that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. We get in these spaces and we'll sing with all of our heart. And there is nothing better than him. In other words, there is a person who should be at the center of all things in my life. And yet, and yet, and yet. When we don't have Carrington singing to us, when we don't have a moment where, like, we feel it, we find ourselves reverting back to bad habits. We find ourselves moving back to what is the reality of the human race. It's interesting to me because I was thinking about this whole Lent series that we're, we're in. And you know, the reason why we're walking through Lent is because Lent is this journey that follows our rabbi's journey 2,000 years ago through the desert to remind him of the truth of the best way. Now, this is absolutely true. If you look at Jesus and he walks into the desert, first, Jesus is called into the desert. Let me say something. Some of you are walking through the hardest moment of your whole life. You walked in today, you don't know how you're going to pay that bill. You don't know if your marriage is going to stay together. You have no idea what you're going to do because you lost that job. Some of you walked into this space and you're walking into a desert. And you know what we do so often is when we're walking into a desert, we're saying, wait a minute, wait, did God abandon me? Did he leave me? Like when the hard times come, isn't the first thing we do is we go, God, what, why, why are you taking me here? In fact, hard times oftentimes make us believe that maybe it's the enemy, like the enemy's got us. You have a hard time come your way and you're like, oh, I'm walking through a desert. The enemy's got me. Do you realize that if you look in Mark, do you know who led Jesus into the desert? The Spirit. No, no, let me say that again. Do you know who led Jesus into the desert? It was the Spirit. The 40 days of temptation that Jesus walks through, it was the spirit that led him into the desert. So could it be, people of God, that the desert you're walking into, the spirit is leading you there? And maybe he's leading you there because there's a bunch of things that cannot survive the desert. You know how many things we attach to our lives that we think we need? 
that when they get out in the desert, what the desert starts to do is to peel those things away from us. They start to put them to death. This is Lent. This is what Lent is. Now, for some of us, we didn't grow up celebrating Lent. I didn't. I know a lot of you are like, oh, I thought that was like a Catholic thing, right? But see, the truth is, there have been Christians for thousands of years that have been mirroring this journey, this spirit-led journey into the desert. Because I think there's something to be understood that in the desert is the only place that life can actually be found. There is something about the desert, the process of killing off all that was in order for us to become all that we could be. Your identity needs to be challenged. The stuff you've tied yourself to needs to be challenged. There's a bunch of stuff that needs to die. And if you didn't hear Chad's message last week, this, this idea of like a divine downgrade, it is absolutely counterintuitive to us as Americans. When I say death, you're like, uh-uh. I'm not interested in dying. I'm not interested in letting go. See, this is Lent, where we begin to understand who it is that God is and what our place in the universe is. So we're gonna sing this, and then I'm gonna preach a little bit more. But I want you, for just a second, to understand. If you are, if you're facing, if you put your foot metaphorically, physically, however it is for you in the desert, if it's coming your way, I'm asking you in this moment, will you just let it be? If the desert feels like it's surrounded you and about to swallow you up, will you just let it be? I'm telling you, we are desert people. We are desert people. We are formed in the desert like our rabbi. And I'm telling you, you will come out of this desert. And when you do, the life that is going to spring from you is going to be absolutely, unequivocally amazing. Because it will be life that is centered in Jesus, not all the other stuff. 17 of you got excited about it because you're like, I don't like deserts. No, 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 no. This is Lent. This is what we do. This is what we do. We start to make this song more than a Sunday song. We start to make this thing like what we live every single day. When we wake up, you go through Lent, you go through the desert. I'm telling you, you get on the other side and you start to believe, oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Mm. You can have your money. You can have the house. You can have the stuff. There's nothing better than you. Nothing better than you. And so you can sit in your seat. You can stand up. You can... Well, I don't, I don't know if I want y'all running around or not, but I do want to encourage you in this next, we're just going to sing it one more time before I dive in and finish this message. God, will you, what I want you to praise God, wherever I am right now, will you begin to undo, undo all that I have tied my life to? Will you undo all that I've tied my life to? Will you undo all that I've tied my life to? And help me understand there is nothing, nothing, nothing better than you. Amen? Amen? Let's sing this.
receiving the offering, if uh, you want to come forward, you know, uh, we want to make generosity normal. That it's just normal that we're a generous church, that this is what we do. And so much of what gets done week in and week out, it's because of your generosity. You know that you can text to give, you can visit our website to give, um, or you can give in the baskets. And we're going to talk about generosity more because really at the center of today's message is this idea of detaching ourselves from the things that we've attached ourselves to is the way life is supposed to be lived. I don't know if you've ever had this, so while the baskets are passing, you gotta, you gotta have to multitask, all right? You're like, man, you're excited this morning. I'm really excited. Because I'm literally so jet lagged that in about two hours, I'm literally gonna have nothing left. So this is it. This is like that burst of energy right before you're like, yeah, I gotta go to bed. I gotta go to bed. Um, I'm gonna tell you all about Indy and all that God did, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever, have you ever had a tool in your house watch your wife or maybe your son use a tool to get something done that the the purpose of the tool wasn't aligned with the task at hand. Let me, let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Like you ever seen, you ever had this moment where you have one of these and you realize when you had this in your hand that what you're about to do is not drill because you're like, oh, it's not a screw, it's a, a nail. And so then you just turn it to its side and you start to hit the nail in. Anybody ever done that? Come on now. How many of you have ever done that? Raise your hand. You know you have because you didn't want to go downstairs and get a hammer. It was going to take too long. Or, or, or here's one better. H have you actually had a screw and the battery was dead? And so you're wandering, like going through the cabinets. You can't find a screwdriver, but you find a butter knife. Anybody done that? Yeah, once you had done that, you're taking a, you just butter knifed it in. You're like, oh, wow, that could goodness, this works pretty good. You know? but, but the reality is, like the, these two tools, when you do that, it gets the job done, right? But it's not what this was intended to do. This is a butter knife. It's intended to spread butter. And, and I thought about our lives. You know, so often I meet with people who call this place home. And there's such a desire in so many of us to live the life that God intended. Like when you hear us preach about John 10.10, 10, that there is this life that should flow from our bellies. Most of us go, yes, please. I'll have some of that. But, but so often we look at the lives that we have. And I fear that we think, well, if I'm not living the life that I'm supposed to, is there something fundamentally wrong with me is by brokenness so deep a am I somehow misformed did I somehow miss it I I see disappointment in the lives of some of my friends who really believe they've missed the life they were supposed to live and I wondered is that because we really believe like that life you explain in Jesus, that just isn't for a person like me. And here's, I'm going to give away my message. I normally don't do this. But I'm going to make the case today that if you haven't experienced the life that Jesus intended for you fully, life in full technicolor, where you are on purpose all the time, where you are literally in the center of his will, it is not because 
your broken, misguided, malfunctioning, or worse, but rather that you're not aligned to your proper function. You are a butter knife trying to screw in a screw. And maybe you can get it done, but you know this isn't what I was made to be. You know, Lent has been, I think, one of the most important things I've done in the last three years. And I started Lent, celebrating Lent, three years ago for the very first time. And it's why we invite you into this journey, Lent. Now, if you haven't uh, stepped toward this 40-day journey, which now we're, you know, some a week in, can you put that slide up? I want to invite you. There's a study... Um, that you can download. And it's every morning, we'll send an email out to your email inbox. And it's a really simple read, but I want to invite you into this Lenten journey. This daily process of realigning towards our God-intended purpose. That's what this is. It's a journey home. In fact, when I was looking at the idea of Lent, and, and what is it if you were trying to sum it up in a word? Oftentimes you'll hear the word repentance. That, that, that's the way we describe Lent, that it, it's this season of repentance. And oftentimes when we think of repentance, we think of it in terms of the way that the Greek defines repentance. The Greek word for repentance actually is, is translated an inner change of heart. But I like the, I like the Hebrew word for this. The Hebrew word is teshuva. And the Hebrew word is actually translated into a journey home. That repentance is actually, yes, it is a change of heart, but it's a journey home. That repentance is you and me on a journey back towards what God made us to be. His original intent before we started attaching things to our life, before we started messing things up, before we got into that relationship or that wrong job or that wrong thing, the spiral that we can't seem to pull ourselves out of. See, repentance is a journey home. It's at the end of repentance. You find who you are, who God made you to be. You know, I, I thought about what is it that we have attached ourselves to? And, and I think in a room this size, the reality is all of us have had moments where we look back and we know we've made wrong decisions, gone down wrong paths. Probably some of you, even last night, you know, you look at the argument you had with your spouse and you know you were wrong. You haven't admitted it yet, but you know you were wrong. You said things you wish you could get back, Right? We visited places in our lives that we wished we wouldn't have gone to. We look at these fundamental cycles that we live in, and we wonder, are they breakable? And I, I thought, you know, what is it at the core that causes all of this? And reality is, there's some things that we do share in common regardless of our struggles. In fact, there's one thing I know for sure we share in common. Uh, let, me, let me ask, let me sort of phrase it a different way. If I were to ask you this morning, who is the person you talk to the most in your life? If I said to you right now, who is it that you talk to more than anybody else on the planet? 
Now, you'd have different answers. You might say, oh, you know, and when I say talk to, it could be text messaging or maybe sort of um, direct messaging on Instagram or direct messaging through Facebook, whatever it is. Who's the person you communicate the most? The reality is you might say, oh, it's my wife or it's my best friend from high school or college. But, but really, really truthfully, the person that every single one of us shares in common that we talk to the most, the person that every single one of us talks to more than anybody else on the planet, is yourself. Oh, no, no, you're doing it right now. You're having a conversation with yourself. Some of you saw me walk out on stage and you started having a conversation about the clothes I was wearing in your own head. You're like, what is wrong with that dude? And here's the truth. Sometimes I'm up here preaching. This is no joke. I see you all. I know you all think, like, I'm just up here, like, doing my thing and I can't see your faces. That's not true. There are moments especially now when the masks are gone. When I'm up here and I'm preaching and I see one of you and you look so mad at me <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder why they're mad at me. I have an internal dialogue. I'll have two things going on at the exact same time. An internal dialogue and I'm saying things to you. And I keep thinking, why is she so mad at me? Why is she giving me that mean mug? Why, what did I say wrong? Do I need to change the message for the 11, right? We, 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 we talk to ourselves a lot. We have this internal dialogue that we cannot turn off. It's who we talk to the most. And, and if, you think about, if you think about your life and you're honest for a minute, it's not just that we talk to ourselves the most. The truth of me, and I'm just speaking for me, but I think I'm speaking about this as a universal condition, we don't just think of, talk to ourselves the most. We think about ourselves the most. We, we build our lives around ourselves. And that's not to say you don't love your families. Of course you do. But at the end of the day, I am tempted on a consistent basis to put myself at the center of my universe. This has been true throughout human history that we put ourselves at the center of our own universe. Because let's face it, I think about myself, I'm always in my head, I'm thinking about where I'm going, what I'm wearing, what I'm doing, what's wrong with me. I show up in spaces and while I'm listening to you, I think about me, I'm the center of my universe. And we struggled with this forever. And because we've struggled with it, when someone brings it up, our natural instinct is to look at that person and go, don't you, don't you, don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you start talking about me being selfish. How dare you do that? Look, I get it. We did this, like, back in 1543, just to illustrate my point. There was a guy named Copernicus. He was the first guy to suggest that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. He was the first guy to challenge our position in the universe. People lost their minds. Like, how dare you? And then when Galileo came along and actually proved that we were not the center of the universe. Do you know what they did? They put them on house arrest and kicked them out of the church. They're like, how dare you remove us from the center of the universe? This is human nature. So when we, in the Lenten journey, challenge ourselves to die to ourselves, I will tell you that oftentimes there's something that rises up in us and goes, no, mm -mm. I don't want to die to myself. It doesn't feel right. 
I'm not going to do that. How dare you tell me? And yet, I really fear that if we're not willing to have an open heart about our place in the world, we will foolishly walk down what Proverbs 14, 12 says, that there is a way that seems right to us, but at the end, it leads to death. Theologian A.W. Tozer said that the natural man is a sinner because and only because he challenges God's selfhood in relationship to his own. In other words, I don't mind if God's a part of my story, but so often, him being the center of my life, I don't know. I don't know. We can mentally ascend. Sometimes some of us, even as Christians, will go, oh yeah, that's really good. I, I, I think that's true. But then we don't live that way. In fact, we've reduced Christianity so often to just a bunch of moral precepts we think about and we ascend to. We go, yes, that's a right idea. I'm not at the center of the universe. And then I leave from this place and figure out ways to be mad at everybody who gets in my way. Why did you cut me off? Why did you cheat me in line? Why are you closed Chick-fil-A on Sunday? Right? I live my life with me at the center. And this constant assertion of self, it appears to be a perfectly normal thing. You know, I was, um, we got a chance when we were in India to take just a, a minute. We had a meeting, we got on a train, and if you follow me on Instagram, you know I was, we were all over the place. I cannot wait to tell you what God is up to, but we got a chance to visit an important, like, space, uh, the Taj Mahal, right? So we were on our way to a meeting, and we're like, well, let's go to the Taj Mahal. You know, it's like the seven wonders of the world. It's an important place. You should go by and see it. And what struck me was how everyone there was doing the exact same thing, taking selfies of themselves in front of the things, right? And they had the big, long sticks, and now they have sticks that are invisible. Did you know that? They literally have a device that makes the stick go away. So it just literally is like a floating camera that just follows you around, taking pictures of you. In fact, if you go to your phone right now, well, don't do it right now. Uh, I'm, stick with me for a minute. But if you were to go to your phone a little bit later and you surf, search pictures of yourself, I bet you have a lot of selfies. Now, now I'm not saying selfies are bad. It's good. I take a ton of selfies, right? I'm like, oh, look, I, I want to document my place in the world. But this is what I mean is our culture, our culture makes us being the center of our stories, our universe, all of it, very, very normal. In fact, we have whole tools like Instagram and Facebook that the whole purpose is to post your life. Get some likes and see if people follow you. And you know, there's like an endorphin rush. When you post something and like 100 people heart it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm living the best life. I'm living my best life. You know, I was... Um, I was in India some time ago with some young people, and I'm not throwing shade at you young folks because I'm not one of you. I just pretend to be. Um, but I was with some folks in India, and I was watching. We were, we were there during this festival, 
And I got to laughing so hard. We were at a festival where there were like, there's this color festival. It was absolutely amazing. It was just this amazing moment. And I found them watching them for an hour. These, these were like much different generation. For an hour, posing around the festival to get the perfect shot to put on these platforms. In fact, at one point, I said, hey, I know I'm an old guy, but it seems to me that the last hour you have spent trying to get the perfect picture that shows you're having such a great time, when in actuality, you're not having a great time at all. You haven't spent any time in the festival just photoing it. And then they would all look at it and be like, no, that's not a good one. Do it again. They jump in the air. Oh, no, do it again. Right. It was the whole thing. And we've made this, this is normal, normal, normal. We're the center of our Instagram platform. It's our lives on display. We're the center of our universe. Self-expression. Self-promotion. It seems right. A.W. Tozer goes on in this quote, and he says, you know, no matter how far down the scale of social acceptance we might slide, we still, in our own eyes, are a king on our throne. See, is this what God intended for you? That you would be the center of your universe. You know, the Bible's pretty clear that when it's all about me and my desires and my wants, it always ends poorly. In fact, in James, he spells out what a you-centric life looks like. Listen, listen to what the writer says. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's like, what causes you all the angst and the problems? What is it that causes that? So don't they come from your desires that are battling inside of you? You know what causes all the problems is the stuff you want. The stuff you want for you. It says you desire, but you don't have, so what do you do? You kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God, but when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, right? He says, it's all about this internal thing inside you. And in fact, if you look at that, I highlighted it, you can see the problem. It's you. I mean, me, too. It's us. A you-centric life is at the center of what actually makes so much wrong in our world. It doesn't work. We know it doesn't. And yet, because it's so normal to put ourselves at the center of the universe, we often think, well, what is the alternative? What then, Eric, would you have me do? Walk around and pretend I'm a piece of garbage? No, 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 no. Max Ocato, who has written several, all kinds of great books throughout the years, he, he talks about this. He says, look, when God looks at the center of the universe, he doesn't look at you. And that's tough for us to hear. He says, he doesn't look at you. Like when the heavens, 
stagehands direct the spotlight towards the star of the show, you're not going to need sunglasses. And when you hear that, you're like, then what? What am I supposed to do? For some of you, you're like, and let me say this. For some, let me say this. Some of you, you're at the center of the universe, but you actually are at the center of your universe, and you don't think you're all that great. You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh, no, I'm, I think about where I'm at and my situation. I don't like me at all. See, this isn't this, this idea that somehow being at the center of your universe is that you just love yourself. It's just that it's the only thing that matters. It's right in the middle. It's all about the things that I want, the things that I desire. Look at how the Apostle Paul puts it. He said, listen, listen. God raised him. He's talking about Jesus from death. And he sets him on a throne deep in heaven in charge of running the universe. This is, this is true of our Jesus. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule. This is the Jesus that we serve. And it's not just for this time being. It's forever. He's in charge of all of it. He has a final word on everything at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. He is the center of the universe. So what's your role? What does that mean for you? Well, I was born in 1973, so sadly, I missed the disco craze. I've heard about it, watched movies about it. I understand there's platform shoes and polyester pants, bad hairstyles. Suspect music. But there's one thing that I think about from the disco age that's carried over. In every disco I ever saw pictures of, there was one of these things that were always at hanging from somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? It was a, a disco ball. It got his name from the 1970s. Now, I'm more familiar with how this is more commonly placed in the 80s which was at skating rinks. Anybody else? And see, when this ball was lit up at a skating rink, you knew it was go time, right? This was the chance to skate with Susie or Johnny. When the, when the slow music came on, this ball was lit up. And it did something magical, because it's really funny when you see it, it's just sort of like a goofy looking ball that if you were to just hang it and not shine lights off of it, it's fairly unusable. Like if you try to see your own image in it, you look crazy, right? You, you just look crazy. Like a, my eye is huge right there. But when you shine light on it, this broken pieces of glass put back together does something amazing. This is broken pieces of glass that have been stuck on this ball. And when the light shines on it just right, you've been in a room, you almost are like, oh, you can't help it. It looks amazing in a dark room. A disco ball. Now, it's not a perfect analogy, of course. But if you're asking the question, what is it that God wants for my life? I think this is the best analogy. There's a verse from an old translation, the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, where it says, our lives are to be reflecting like mirrors the brightness of the sun. See, our lives 
lives are to be like mirrors, like a disco ball. You know what your intended purpose was? To reflect his glory. Oh yeah. You, right in your life, to reflect his goodness. See, and this is why that's good news, because on a, in a, of ourselves, we, you're probably right, I'm not always that great. I'm broken. I have pieces that are missing. I don't know how to shine all the time, but the pressure's off when all we have to do is reflect, right? You don't have to generate anything. You just get to stand there and spin. See, when I challenge you to die to yourself, what I'm challenging you to is to find your rightful place in the universe. A place where God's glory shines off you in everything you say. Could you imagine what our world would look like as followers of Jesus if everything that we said reflected his light? I'm telling you, the things we post on the social media channels, the words we use with our spouse. If in every moment we thought, I'm reflecting Jesus' light off of me, what should these words be? It changes everything. Could you imagine if we let not only our words reflect his light, but our actions reflect his light? This is what Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father. When our actions reflect who God is, the world would change if we just thought in every space, I'm just going to, everything that I do is going to be a reflection of who Jesus is. What if our struggles reflected his light? You're like, wait, what? No, 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 no. See, that's just it. The brokenness, that's what makes this. If I brought a single pane of glass out and shine a light off of it, it doesn't do anything. But when you take the brokenness and the light shines off of it, something magnificent happens because it is only in Jesus that broken things are beautiful. This is why we say you turn what? Graves into gardens. You do stuff with broken pieces. That's amazing. Our struggles can be a reflection of his light. Our words, our actions. See, can you get through life acting like a butter knife screwing in a screw? Sure, sure. You can get through life kind of doing your own thing outside of your intended purpose as a disco ball, I suppose. But in the Lenten journey, our journey home, understanding your place in the universe isn't at the center. It's a reflection of the one who is. That's it. And see, I love it because here's what James 4.10 says, when we humble ourselves, we rightfully let his light bounce off us. When we humble ourselves, what does he do? He lifts you up. He lifts you up. I 
wish that you could see how beautiful God thinks you are. He wants to shine his light off of you. All the brokenness, all the pieces. He's like, no, 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 no. You sit there. Let me do the work. You just spin in circles. Let me shine off you. And watch what happens when I do. See, yeah, death, death sounds scary. To let go of me at the center of my universe, to let go of the things that I've claimed as my own, it does, it is. Until you get a glimpse of yourself reflecting God's glory. And when you do, you begin to realize, oh my goodness, there is a way that seems right to men, but leads to death. I don't want any of that. I want my words, my actions, my failure to be a reflection of your goodness in every space I walk into, in every place, in every relationship. God, just shine off of me. 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 Practically speaking, I think there's, in messages like this, important ways that we can move forward in this. Today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be a reflection of his glory. Now, there is no pressure. Those of you that know, know me, that's not how I roll. But I'm absolutely honored that I get to partner, we get to partner with an organization called Food for the Hungry. On your, on your seats, there are little packets just like this. These are children, real children in Rwanda and in the Dominican Republic, right next to Haiti. Children who are some of the most in some of the most vulnerable communities and the most vulnerable situations in the world. Children, at this morning, you're gonna, you're gonna have a chance to let your light shine. Now there is no pressure. If you're like, man, I don't feel like God's calling me to this or I'm not ready to step into this. It's all good. It's all good. But I am praying that over the next few weeks, we're going to have these out over the next three weeks. I'm praying that God would move on your heart. And it's a $38 a month sponsorship. It sponsors this child. You get to write letters with them. You get to know them. You get to impact their world. You're going to let your light shine in a space that you couldn't dreamt of. And here's what's cool about Jesus. When he starts to reflect off your life, that light's going to go in crazy places, in places you could never go yourself. This side of heaven, you may never meet this child. This is Grace. She's five years old. She lives in Rwanda. I may never meet her this side of heaven. But just by letting God shine off of me, I might be able to make a massive impact in her life. And so here's how it's gonna work. During the song we're gonna sing, I'm gonna invite you to look at this packet and consider sponsoring a child at $38 a month. I have a goal that as a church, we sponsor 500 children this year. And I'm probably gonna keep talking about it until it happens. And so you're like, oh boy. He's relentless. This doesn't benefit Forest City Church, and this is all about these children. 
about what God wants to do around this world as we become reflections of who he is. I'm gonna challenge you, have you pray about it. You can take the packet home if you want to, but you'll notice that there's a, a time sensitive. By May, you have to make a decision. And if you're like, hey, I, I just wanna take a minute, take it home. But for some of you, God's making your, your chest is pounding. You're like, I gotta step into this. You can take the card out and while we're worshiping together, you can fill this out. If you look at the packet and you're like, oh man, I think I, I wanna sponsor a little girl or I wanna sponsor a little boy. We have a booth out in the lobby. You can take a packet and go out there and exchange it. But I'm asking you, I'm asking, I'm, I'm pleading with you. This is a practical step of removing yourself out of the center of your world. Watch what happens, watch what happens. See what happens. Chrissy and I, some years ago, stepped into child sponsorship. We did not have the money. We just did it. I was poor youth pastor. If you, know, if you ever see our youth pastors, just know they're poor. But we felt like this was, God was asking us to do it. And over the last 10 years, I can tell you, when you walk into our house, there's a picture of us and the two children that we sponsor, brother and sister. They're in Rwanda as well. It hangs on our mantle, a picture of our family and their family. There has not been one thing that we have done that has been a, more of a blessing than stepping into this. Oh, did it bless their family? Oh, tons. We've been able to do all kinds of stuff like sponsor cows and goats and all kinds of things for where they live. But I'm telling you that the blessing that they got, it doesn't even come, it doesn't compare to what me and my family have gotten by stepping in and just letting God reflect his goodness off of us. It's all his, it's not my stuff, it's his. And so I'm asking you in this song as we sing, if you would just consider, before we do, I wanna show you a little video that give you just a little bit more context on food for the hungry. We'll worship together and then we'll leave. Watch this. So I pray that you'll consider letting your light shine in this practical way. And then this week, in your words, in your deeds, in your brokenness, let it be a reflection of God's goodness. Let him put you in your proper place, what you were made well, if you want to visit the Food for the Hungry table, um, please do grab a packet. Um, if it feels like this is something you need to process with your family or with your spouse, please do it. And I'm excited next week as we continue in this Lenten season. Grace and peace. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Eric Parks with part two of the series titled Less is More. Thanks for listening.